0: We're in our Bibles, John chapter 5. You follow with me as I read John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. This morning I want to preach on this topic, a help for the helpless. Help for the helpless, John 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years, When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Three imperatives. Verse 9, and immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. I'm preaching today on help for the helpless. What a great opportunity we have today in the world in which we live. Old-time preacher in heaven now for many years. His name was Debbie B. Riley. He pastored First Baptist Church of Minneapolis. And they had a school there. It was called Northwestern College. It's not Northwestern University in the Big Ten. that's a different thing. But Northwestern College in its day, first part of the 1900s, first part of the last century, first half of that century, was a preacher-sending station. It really existed only for one reason. That's to train people for the Lord's work. Same purpose we have. They've had, I've seen pictures, this is back in the 30s and the 40s and the 1900s, 800 students sitting there, training, preaching. The truth of it is, they touched, really, the entire Midwest. And uh, W.B. Riley at graduation, many times I'm told, would say this, this is how you determine God's will. Kind of an interesting question, isn't it? Kind of relates to where we're at, right? How do you determine God's will? It's a pretty good question. I say sometimes I can't tell for sure what God's will is, but it's pretty easy to figure out what it isn't for some people. Anyway, he'd say this. This is what you do. You get on the train at Minneapolis. It's an old school reference. Don't let it bother you. All my references are old school, all right? And he says, you get on the train, and the first place the train stops, you get off. If there's a gospel preaching church there, get back on the train. God doesn't want you there. And he said, you go to the next place, and you get off. And he said, the first time you find a place where the train stops... Where there's not a gospel preaching church, God just called you. You get off the train, you find a place to stay, and you start yourself a church. And by the time W.B. Riley died, 1947, there was a Northwestern graduate everywhere the train stopped from Minneapolis all the way to the ocean. Think about that. We're in a different day and age, and I understand I come from the Midwest, and I understand it's a different world, but can I just tell you, the world is dying for somebody like you to preach the gospel to them. And the world is waiting for somebody to say, listen, I will go where nobody else has gone. I will go and go someplace and start from scratch and do something for God. That's what we need today. We need somebody with a burden to be a help. To the helpless. All around us there's people like that. All around us there's individuals like that. In order, we must demonstrate the heart of Christ in order to reach people. And in our story this morning in John chapter 5. I want to show you several key elements of the story that demonstrate the heart of Christ. For each one of us and for the ministry that God has given to us. First of all, I want you to notice the first element is the multitude in verse 3. Do you see it? The description of this multitude in verse 3. For in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Here's the multitude. That's a great word in the New Testament, isn't it? The multitudes. Jesus ministered always to the multitudes, didn't he? Everywhere he went, a multitude gathered to him. And this multitude here in John chapter 5 is a description of a difficult looking bunch. Notice them. It says, They're blind, they're halt, they're withered. Physically, as we look at them, we understand they have a need. The need is obvious. We can see it in our day and age. Because of so many medical advances and because we live in America, we're not used to seeing things like this. We're not used to being confronted with things like this. Other parts of the world, different areas of the world, we understand you could be confronted with this. But I'm not talking about the physical needs in verse 3 that are obvious. God is trying to get us to understand the spiritual needs of individuals. The spiritual needs of the multitude. And there they sat. Waiting for the moving of the water, waiting for a miracle, waiting for something to happen. And all around us today, there's multitudes, multitudes of people waiting for somebody to bring them the gospel. They don't look physically like these individuals in verse 3. But spiritually, they're exactly the same. They're lost. They need the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 9, describing our Savior, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Jesus, our Savior, was moved with compassion. He saw people with a need, and his heart was touched. He saw people lost on their way to hell, and he was moved by it. When was the last time we were moved? When was the last time we had compassion? When was the last time we had a compassionate thought? Do you see the multitude? The truth of it is, we can see the multitude anywhere today if we would just lift up our eyes a little bit, just look at them. Any large gathering of people is a multitude, and there's people with spiritual needs. There's people lost outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. We never want to get so focused on ourselves, that we lose sight of the multitude. God's trying to do a work in your heart and in your life in these days so that you can focus on the multitude because there's a multitude out there. Do you see the multitude, first of all, in verse 3? Second of all, do you see in verse 5 the man described in verse 5, our second element in verse 5, and a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. We see this man described. First of all, he's described with a deformity. He has an infirmity. He has some weakness. He has some problem. He has some difficulty. If you and I were there, it would be easy for us to identify what that was. But he had an infirmity. He had a weakness. But second of all, not only was he deformed, but he was discouraged because it had been 38 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. Uh, to suffer. That's a long time to be in that condition. That's a long time to go through that uh, situation. 38 years he'd been there. 38 years he'd been in that situation. We see the multitude. We see the man. But thirdly, I want you to see the master, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is not only uh, in the Gospels teaching us doctrine and Bible truth, but he's also teaching us people and how to relate to people and how to have a heart for people. Sometimes I'm afraid that the longer you and I have been saved, the less we have a heart for lost people. The longer you and I have been going to church, the less we remember what it was like to not be that way, to not be in that situation. And I realize we have a lot of people that grew up going to church all the time. I understand that. But I, I do feel there's a concern of us being so much in this environment that we forget that there's people that don't have any idea what this is like. They're in a different situation. They're in a different background. Does your kind of Christianity does it work for people like that? Uh, somebody wrote just recently a guy. He said, "The New Testament, preached properly, works in every culture, in every country, in every generation." That's how we know it's the Bible. That's how we know that we're preaching the Bible correctly. It's not just for America. It's for everyone. It's not just for people that grew up like you and I did. It's for everyone. That's how the Bible is supposed to be preached. Preached correctly, it works everywhere. It works in every country of the world. It doesn't matter where you put it, it can work. Why? Because it's God's plan. If it's my plan, it'd only work in a limited area. But God's plan works everywhere. And there we see the master. Now the question for us this morning is how much like the master are we? I'm concerned, just stay with me, students. I'm concerned if the longer we're here, the less we're like the master. I'm concerned if the longer we're here, the less we have a heart for this man who's had an infirmity for 38 years. I'm concerned if we get here and we get wrapped up into our own little world, our own little situation, and we're not effective where it really counts. There's Jesus. He comes upon this group. Immediately, he sees that there's all kinds of needs, physical needs. Jesus could solve any one of them. He comes to this man. Can we be like the master today? Any good church, any good Bible college, the longer you're there, the more you should be like the master. I mean, that should be the very definition of it. That should be a very test what it's all about. If the longer you're here, the more carnal you get, there's either something wrong with you or something wrong with the system. But we should be more like the master. Notice the description of our Savior in verse 6. It says this, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him. Notice the three descriptions of our Savior in verse 6. First of all, he saw him. He saw him. Now, you know and I know that we can see things and not really be affected by it. And we all can see things and it never really registers. And I think we can understand, I think we can all agree that when the Bible says that Jesus saw him, it means he really did see him. He didn't just glance and move on. He saw him and he saw exactly the situation. He surmised the entire situation. Do we see people? Do we see people as real people in needs? in need, with needs, or do we just go about and we're all consumed about ourselves and our own situation, but Jesus came upon this situation and he saw him. I see a lot in those two words. Jesus saw him. Here's an individual. One time, uh, I was at a thing uh, when we were in Nebraska for uh, a guy that had been in ministry a long time, and they had like a retirement party for me, been at this one church, I think 35 years or something like this. Anyway, A guy got up to give a testimony about the guy that was retiring, and the guy giving the testimony said, I had just got out of college, and I started going to this church, and I got saved to this church, and I was just growing. He said, I was a new Christian, and this guy who was retiring came over to me and said, I want you to teach the fifth grade class in our Christian school. And he said, fifth grade class? I don't even like fifth graders. Good night. Why would I want to teach them for a whole year? And he said, I think you can do it. He said, I got you one better. I know I can't do it. I mean, I don't want to do that. And so... And so he talked to me, he said, would you go home and pray about it? That's the trick right there. (laughs) So he went home and he said, all right. He said, I'll do it. So he left his career in the business world and he started teaching fifth grade. Eventually, the guy that started teaching fifth grade, he became the administrator of the church. And eventually, he just retired after he'd been the pastor of the church for almost 20 years. He said this in the Testament. I never forgot it. He said, that man saw something in me that I didn't even see. Boy, that's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Jesus sees us. And I know you're going to have a lot of voices in your head saying to you, and I think a lot of people trip up at this, saying you can't do it. It can't be done. Can I just tell you, Jesus sees you. You're here because God has something for you to do. God sees everything about you. He wants to take you. Notice, he wants to take you and use you. First of all, it says, saw him. Second of all, still in verse 6, it says, and knew him. It says, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. Not only did Jesus see him, but Jesus knew him. We need to allow God to teach us how to work with people, how to be around people, how to minister to people, how to care about people how to be concerned about people. Unfortunately, I'm afraid a lot of times the only person we care about is us. The person we're most concerned about is me. The individual we're really moved by burdens is when it's my burden. No one else's burden moves us. No one else's concern ever affects us. Nothing else ever gets to us. But it doesn't say that about Jesus. And he knew it had been a long time. Then thirdly, he spoke to him. It says there in verse 6, he saith unto him, he spoke to him. He saw him, he knew him, and he spoke to him. It's really a good little outline of how to work with people. You know that? I think seeing is more than just noticing with our eyes. I think it's more than just a visual thing. But then he was able to speak to him. Then he was able to, to talk to him. He was good at that. We were in Nebraska this summer. I knew I'd throw this in somewhere, didn't you? But anyway, we were in Nebraska this summer on the mission trip. I'm going back again this summer. Rusty thinks he wants to go, but he says amen at all the wrong times when I'm preaching. So right there, right there it is. Anyway, and so we went to a church. A church switched their prayer meeting so we could go there. We had supper before. We drove over to this church, drove about 45 minutes, and uh, I preached at this church. And then this lady of the church said, listen, I never like to have anybody at this church where we don't feed them. And I'm like, oh, man, we can't eat again. We just can't, you know. Only we could, but you know what I mean. Anyway, and uh, so they said, listen, we've got food for you to go. I said, okay, thank you very much. You know, you can't really refuse it, you know. So I was driving back to the place where we were staying, and I said, I don't really operate this way, guys, but it's just this situation. I'm just going to take that food and throw it away. We can't eat it. We've got food at the house where we're going. It's not the way I operate, but we would have offended somebody, so the guy that was with us, John Wright, remember him? Man, John Wright says, let's find somebody to give the food to. I'm like, John, seriously, come on. Nobody's going to take food from a stranger in this day and age. That just doesn't work. That can't be done. Well, don't say it can't be done to John Wright, because that just, like, fires the man up. You know what I mean? So I said, listen, i got to get gas. So we pulled into this gas station, and he finds somebody that will take three chicken dinners from a stranger. Then after the guy takes the food, he stands there and witnesses to him for like 25 minutes. And this guy, this is a guy that you could just look at him and tell he had worked hard all day. He was like filthy dirty. And he said, man, do I like food? He said, I didn't even have time for lunch today. It was like 9 o'clock at night right now. And not only did John give him the food, which I said was impossible. And I still think it's impossible, except John Wright can find somebody to take food. You know what I mean? But he didn't just leave it at that he shared the gospel with him that's interesting isn't it how many times do we just miss opportunities cuz i'm in a hurry cuz i've got somewhere to go but jesus took time and spoke to him that means a lot to people doesn't it that personal contact some people are really good in the pulpit, but they're not very good at one-on-one. Can I just suggest if you're going to really be in the ministry, be a man in the ministry, you've got to be good at both. Not only good in the pulpit, but you also ought to be good one-on-one, talking to people, caring about people. Jesus sets that up for us, doesn't he? We see the master. Thirdly, I want you to see the message in this story. It starts in verse 7, the last part of verse 6, and then into verse 7 says in the last part of verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, Question, wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And like I said, there's three imperatives. There are three commands right there. Notice first of all with me in this message, the last part of verse 6, the question. The question comes from Jesus, and notice exactly what he says: Wilt thou be made whole? That's an interesting question, isn't it? This man has not been physically whole, the Bible tells us, for 38 years. This just didn't happen. In fact, the very question would almost be an offense to the average person. He says, Will you be made whole? Do you want to be whole? Of course I want to be whole. But the question is interesting, isn't it? Wilt thou be made whole? We can extrapolate it a little bit. Anybody can be saved. Anybody can trust the Lord. Jesus asked the question. There's no mistakes when Jesus says anything. And the question is a good question. Wilt thou be made whole? Do you want it? Second of all, notice what the man says in response, his answer. He says, sir, I have no man. Can I just tell you, I think that's the cry of a lot of people today. (laughs) Yeah, I want to be whole, but it won't work. It's impossible. Uh, The situation is beyond my comprehension. The situation is beyond my handling it. I, I don't have anyone. I can't do it myself. Sir, I have no man. I understand a lot of people are lost, are stuck in their sin and and, and joined in their sin. But can I just suggest to you that I think there's a lot of people out there just like this man when he said, Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be whole? They said, I I don't know. I don't know how to do that. I I don't know what you're talking about. They just need somebody to help them. We wouldn't have to go looking very far just in Cleveland County to find somebody in a house today that is saying, Listen, I have no one to help me. Just think, you could take, we could take kids today. In Cleveland County, just the county in which we reside here, the counties you came from, just a little bit younger than you, just think about the homes they're growing up in today. Not, uh, the numbers are staggering in our country today of how few homes have two parents in them. I mean, the number, the the absentee man, man, father in our households, in in our country, is an epidemic. Nobody will talk about it because it's too politically sensitive. But it's just simply a tragedy all across this country. There's kids, think about them. They're raising themselves. Think about them. They're going to public school. What are they being taught? homosexuality, transgenderism, all kinds of things, and they come home, and they're immersed in the Internet, they're immersed in what this world calls entertainment, and they sit there, and they say, hey, will you be made whole? And they say, I, I don't have anyone. I need somebody to help me. Well, Just all over Cleveland County, there's people like that. The county you came from, there's people like that. They're lost. They've never been to church. They've never heard the gospel. They don't know anything about what the Bible teaches. And they just sit there and they say, yeah, I want to be whole. I want to be whole. There's something wrong, though. I need some help. Hey, listen, that's where we come in. That's where we're supposed to enter in. He said, sir, I have no man. But he said it to Jesus. He said it to Jesus. One time when I was in Nebraska, pastor, we used to go out into some of the little towns outside Fremont. We do a Bible school, like in a park. Uh, in a school playground and stuff. So one day, we were having a vacation Bible school. I had a couple of teenagers helping me. We're on like an old school ground area. They had like a little playground there. We had about 10 little kids there that we'd invited. They had come. And and so I said, we're going to learn a Bible verse today. And the Bible verse we're going to learn is John 3.16. Now, I started with that one because I consider that the most well-known verse in the Bible. Like, if you only know one verse, you probably know John 3.16. So I said to these 10 kids, now this is Nickerson, Nebraska, Heartland. I said, how many of you know John 3.16? One kid raised his hand. The one kid that raised his hand thought I was talking about Austin 3.16, an old school wrestler. That's what he thought I was talking about. And when I said, no, it's John 3.16, he said, oh, then I don't know it either. And I said, oh, you guys have to know this verse. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Certainly you know that verse. No, never heard of it. You ever been to church? Some of them have even been to church. These are 10 kids in middle-class America. And they've never heard the most well-known verse in the entire Bible. And this man sits there with an infirmity for 38 years. And he says, sir, I have no man. What does he say? And he says, it's impossible. It can't be done. Do you see that's the whole purpose of everything? For you to take the gospel to somebody like that. For you to minister to somebody like that on the mission fields of the world, on the foreign countries. But America is a mission field as well. There's all kinds of places we can go. In America, and you can run into people say the exact same things as Sir, I have no man. Nobody to help me. Nobody to explain it to me. Can I just tell you that's when the ministry is really exciting? That's when the ministry is really thrilling. When John Patton was going to the South Sea Islands and somebody rebuked him in church and said, listen, you're going to where there's cannibals. You're not even going to survive. They're going to kill you. You're going to be dead before you ever get the gospel out. What what kind of fool does something like that? And Patton said to him, he says, we're both expending our lives. We're both going to die one day. We can't get away from it. And he said, if I die out there preaching the gospel, so be it. But he said, at the end of the day, both you and I are both going to be dead, and I'm going to take the time I have, and I'm going to use it for the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, it's a good lesson. God did give him some years there. There were people saved. Churches started. All because he realized there were people that said, sir, I have no man. Do you see the question, first of all, is wilt thou be made whole? The answer is, sir, I have no man. And here's the results all the way down in verse 9. Here's the results. And immediately, the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. There's a miracle. It's an answer. Do you want to be whole? He said, yes, I want to be whole, but I don't, I don't understand how it's going to work. It's impossible. I've been here 38 years. Could be a little discouraged, do you think? Could be a little depressed if we'd use our language of today. And Jesus said, we can solve that problem. That's what the gospel can do. This is physical healing, but we also believe in spiritual healing. We believe that God can save people's lives. We believe that God can transform people's lives. Can I just say, whatever our spiritual heritage is this morning, and I understand we have some rich spiritual heritage, and I appreciate that, but somewhere, sometime in your family, in my family, some generation back, somebody brought the gospel to somebody in your family for the first time. And somebody in your family said, I have no man. And somebody said, I'll tell you how to get saved. And can I just say that it changed the entire direction of your family's life? Somebody, somewhere, sometime got saved. That's what God wants us to do. Sir, I have no man. We're having revival meetings at our church, September 2003. At the invitation, two girls, two high school girls, we would call them bus kids today, walked out and got saved. That's 2003. Those girls got saved. I baptized both of them. I had a part in both of their weddings, and they're both living for the Lord today. Can I just say that they would still be called what you and I would call bus kids? The one girl is still the only one in her family saved. She's witness to everybody in her family. She's lived for the Lord for now 19 years. Still, she's living for the Lord all by herself. She's married. She's got her own family, but her other family, the family she came from, the family she grew up in, she's still the only one. But we changed her life. God changed her life. Listen, the gospel still works today. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what somebody says sitting in their office that never tries it, don't know what it's about, don't know how to do it. I don't care what they say, but I just tell you what, what Jesus did in John chapter 5 still works today in 2022. He still comes up to people and say, do you want to be whole? And they'll say, yes, but I need some help. I don't get how it works. Everything I've tried doesn't work. That's exactly where the Bible preacher comes in. It's exactly where the soul winner comes in. It's exactly where the, the witness comes in. And we need somebody that'll be a help for the helpless. That'll stand in the gap. That will make a difference. That can turn people's lives around just think about it you could go out there and you could win somebody lord and it could be the first person saved in that family Boy, that would be exciting wouldn't it that'd be thrilling wouldn't it we could take the gospel to people what a thrill that could be jesus said to this man wilt thou be whole he said sir i have no man that's exactly where you come in you can be that person You can be that individual that God uses to make a difference. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing to be in chapel today. And I pray, Lord, you take the message and use it in people's lives. Lord, speak to their heart and challenge them. Lord, we have students just about done with their college training. Lord, I pray that you lead and guide them. I pray that you show them the place that you have for them to go. And I pray, Lord, wherever we go, however you lead each one of us, Lord, I pray that we'd be faithful to you faithful in taking the gospel to individuals, faithful in sharing the word of God, and, Lord, that you would use us in a tremendous way. Lord, bring us into contact with people that will say, I have no man, I have no one to help me, and I need somebody to help me. Help us, Lord, give us those opportunities and help us to make a difference in their lives and help us to be a help to the helpless, Lord. Well, thank you for it in Jesus' name.